I'm going to read the scripture for our sermon today, which is Luke 8, 4 through 18. When a large crowd was gathering, as people were coming to him from town after town, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed some, some fell on a path and was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on rock, and as it grew up, it withered for lack of moisture. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil. When it grew, it produced a hundredfold. As he said this, he called out, if you have ears, then hear. Then his disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But to others, I speak in parables, so that looking they may not perceive, and hearing they may not understand. Now, parables this. The seed is the word of God. The ones on the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and may not be saved. The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe only for a while, and in a time of testing, they fall away. As for what fell among the thorns, these are the ones who hear. But as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and the riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit doesn't mature. But as for that of the good soil, these are the ones who, when they hear the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with endurance. Look, no one after lighting a lamp hides it under a jar or puts it under a bed. Rather, you put it on a lampstand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will, be, that will not be disclosed, nor is anything secret that will not become known and come to light. So, pay attention to how you listen. For those who have, more, when, more will be given. And from those who do not have, even what they seem to have will be taken away. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Joanna, for doing that scripture reading for us. And good morning, Hope family. My name is Brandon, and I'm one of the pastors here at Hope. And oh my goodness, uh, worship was so powerful. I'm usually the guy who's leading worship, so to just be able to participate and hear your voices and hear Megan and the team lead us, it was really, really wonderful for me, and I hope it was for you guys as well. Can we just say thank you to Megan and the worship team for leading us? Well, hey, I actually wanted to do things just a little bit differently this morning and actually just jump straight into our passage. Like Doug mentioned, this is the first week back in our Luke, Jesus for Everyone series, and I'm really excited for what God has in store this morning. So we're going to make our way through the passage today, and we're just going to take little pauses and breaks where I feel like God has something specific for us this morning. Sound good? All right, let's do it. Even if he said no, I would still do it, so. (laughs) 
Well, if you've been around church for a little bit, you probably noticed that the passage this morning contained a parable, right? One of the most famous parables, in fact. It's called the parable of the soils or sometimes the parable of the sower. So I wanted to start off with a quick note on parables. What what is a parable, right? First, a parable is a story that's told in order to bring a truth or a teaching to life. It's an illustration of a truth. The listener is meant to chew on it, to reflect on it, and to carefully consider the meaning of the parable. Parables are used to engage the listener, to make you think, and to cause you to ask questions. For example, I could tell you guys that hard work and perseverance are important. Hey guys, guess what? Hard work and perseverance, they're important. (laughs) It's not super effective, right? Or I could tell you the story, the parable of the tortoise and the hare. I'm not going to, but I think you guys get the idea, right? That a parable, a story, can bring something to life that would otherwise feel stale or stagnant. I can feel the collective sigh. Please tell us the story of the tortoise and the hare. Now, something that's going to be key to understanding our passage this morning is that uh, there are actually two different layers of parables in the passage. I'll say it again in case you missed it. I'm not saying that there are two parables here, though you could say that there's kind of two parables, right? There's the one about the soil and the seeds, and then there's uh, the one about the lamp and, and things like that. Um, what I'm actually saying, though, is that there are two layers of parables that are going on at the exact same time, and that one layer of parable is reinforcing the other. And to keep it simple, we're going to call one of these layers of parables Luke's parable, and we're going to call the other one Jesus' parable. Help me out. What's the first one called? Luke's parable. The other one's called? Jesus' parable. And Jesus' parable contains the main parable that Jesus teaches, right? The parable of the soils. And most of the people who read this passage and try to interpret it spend most of their time on Jesus' parable, right? We try to figure out what the different soils represent, what, what do the birds represent. You hear sermons about how laying down roots means attending church more frequently or reading the Bible enough. I think you guys get the idea. And those are all questions about Jesus' parable. And that's fine. We, sh- we should spend time unpacking that, and we're going to this morning. But I want to spend time also looking at the other parable that's happening. Because I think that we get so focused on Jesus' parable that most of us entirely miss Luke's parable. Have you guys ever seen a Russian nesting doll? Here it is. This is called a matryoshka doll. I don't know if these are designed as actual toys for kids or as collector's items for the elderly, uh, but when I bought it on Amazon, it said on the package that it was for ages 4 to 99 years old. So I guess the answer is anyone. Unless you're 100 years old, then it's not for you. (laughs) But anyways, the cool thing about these dolls, right, is that when you open it up, what's inside? Another one. And when you open that one up, What's inside? Another one, and so on, and so forth. And what's pretty cool about them is that each doll 
is different, each new layer is different, but it's also essentially the same as the one that came before it. And I think that this is a helpful image for what Luke is doing here with the parable of the soils. You see, Jesus' parable exists inside of Luke's parable. And Luke's parable isn't about soil and seeds, but it's about crowds, disciples, and secrets that are being revealed. And to make this just a little bit easier for us still, in case you were having trouble wrapping our minds around it, I'm actually going to give away the main point of both parables, because I think that if we have the main point, the ending in mind, it's going to help us to see how the whole thing is about one idea. The whole passage is one big matryoshka doll. So if I was to name this passage, this one big matryoshka doll of Luke 8, 4 through 16, I would call it listening with curiosity, openness, and honesty. We're going to see how a posture of curiosity, openness, and honesty leads to the kind of listening that Jesus desires for us. But yeah, this passage from start to finish, it's all about listening. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to start off looking at Luke's parable, because what I really believe is that if we can understand, if we can wrap our minds around Luke's parable, that Jesus' parable of the soils actually becomes really easy. Let's do it. So first, I want to point out the link that tells me that both Luke's parable and Jesus' parable are absolutely connected. And that link is two words. It's the words hear and listen. In fact, the words hear and listen show up eight times throughout this passage, right? In verse 8, immediately after Jesus tells the original parable, he says, if you have ears to hear, then hear. Verse 10, he says, to you have been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but to others I speak in parables so that looking they may not perceive and hearing they may not understand. And then in Jesus' explanation of the parable, right, in verses 11 through 14, the word hear shows up four more times, one time for each of the different soils. And we learn there that Jesus' parable, the parable of the soils, is actually all about hearing the word of God. And then finally, Jesus gives the illustration about lighting a lamp to be seen and that how anything that's secret will become hidden, right? And how does he end that part of the passage? He says, so pay attention to how you listen. Now, when Luke wrote the gospel, he wasn't using Google Docs, right? We know this. There was no bold option when he was writing this stuff down. And so what ancient writers did in order to reinforce a point, in order to make it clear that this was a really important idea, is they used repetition. It was their version of something being, you know, all caps, bold, and underlined three times. It's like Luke is yelling to his, his, his readers, listen. The repetition of hear and listen is Luke's way of cluing us in that that's the main point of this passage. So again, we're going to start off with Luke's parable, and his parable is about crowds, disciples, and secrets, which means that the main kind of components of Luke's parable is going to be his interaction with the crowd in verse 4, Jesus' interaction with the disciples in verses 8 through 10, and Jesus' words to the disciples in verses 16 through 18. It's basically everything except for the parable of the soils and the explanation. And here's what I noticed, is that as you look 
at those passages, as you look at the parable that Luke is trying to tell us, what starts to emerge as we compare and contrast the crowds with the disciples is a difference in how the two groups listen to Jesus. So we're going to unpack this together, and I actually think you guys can help me out. So question, who did Jesus speak the parable to? Do you guys remember? The disciples were there, but it actually said that it was a large crowd. And we don't know how many people were in the crowd. It could have been at least hundreds of people, all the way up to thousands of people. We know that Jesus drew huge crowds. But a lot of people heard the parable of the soils. Question, how many people understood the parable the first time Jesus gave it? I hear a lot of no ones. Yeah, that's right. Almost nobody understood it, right? Luke even seems to indicate that even Jesus' own disciples didn't understand it because they had to ask him. And this is super important. The crowds didn't understand the parables at first. The disciples didn't understand the parable at first either. So let's read verses 8 through 10 together. This is part of Luke's parable, what Luke is trying to show us. And I'll have another question for you guys. This is Jesus talking to his disciples immediately after he's given the parable to the crowd. He says, if you have ears to hear, then hear. And as a reader, we're wondering, gee, I wonder who might have ears to hear. But let's read on. Oh, then his disciples asked him what his parable meant. And he said, to you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but to others maybe the crowds, I speak in parables so that looking they may not perceive and hearing they may not understand. Question. From these verses, what is the difference between the crowd and the disciples? Why did Jesus explain the parable to the disciples but not to the crowd? The disciples asked. I love that we had a one of our teenagers answer and one of our older members answer at the same time, right? It's not that, that hard. The disciples asked. And this reminds me of Matthew 7. Starting in verse 7, Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Right? The disciples weren't extra clever. They didn't have it all figured out. In fact, I think part of the brilliance of the disciples is that they were willing to acknowledge that they didn't have it all figured out and therefore thought to ask Jesus in the first place. Right? Question. Who, what kind of person asks questions? Curious people, people that want to know? Yeah, I would say Curious people. The disciples were curious. I think it's safe to say that they have a posture of curiosity, a heart posture of curiosity. And curious people ask questions because they know that they don't have the answers already, but they have a burning desire to know, right? And let's hang out here for just a moment to this um, 
heart posture of curiosity because I really believe that curiosity is undervalued in our church spaces today. Friends, did you know that it's okay to have questions? And it's not just okay to have questions, it's actually okay to ask your questions. In the kingdom of God, it's okay not to have it all figured out. In fact, according to Jesus, it seems to be the preferred position. And so we're all invited to ask, seek, question, and wonder together. There's absolutely nothing wrong with asking questions, and there's no such thing as a bad question or an off-limits question. If you're new to the Christianity thing and you just have a ton of questions, um, don't ever feel like there's a question that's, that's too simple, that's dumb, that's whatever. There's no such thing. Unfortunately, and I suspect that a lot of us can relate to this, um, Christian spaces, and I think especially churches, are not really known for our openness to questions. Questions can feel threatening, right? They can feel threatening both to, to normal Christians, but also to Christian ministers. And I think that we all have some sense of why they feel threatening. We feel threatened when we feel afraid. And we're often afraid of those really big questions like how can a God who is all-powerful, who is completely good, also tolerate evil? But God, what about my Muslim coworker, who I'm pretty sure is, is a better human being than I am? Do I really have to believe in, in the seven-day creation thing in order to be a Christian? Why did my loved one have to die? We're often afraid of the big questions because if we don't know the answer, if we feel uncertain, then we're afraid that the whole thing might come unraveled. Am I really a Christian if I don't know this and if I don't know it for sure? But I want to invite you guys, if you have some of those fears in you, not to ignore the fears, but actually to listen to the fears. Because I believe that those fears can teach us something. Those fears can actually reveal that perhaps the thing that we're putting our trust in is not Jesus, but certainty. And even scarier, it's a certainty that's based in my ability to know and understand all of the answers, right? So then if we don't know or understand the answers, I see this a lot, we have kind of one, or two, one of two options. We can either posture and pretend like, oh, yes, I do have all the answers. I do know that for sure. Or we just kind of shut it all out. La, 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 right? I can't hear it. I can't hear it. I don't want to think about that. We ignore it. We run from it. Friends, certainty is an idol, and like all idols, Jesus invites us to tear it down. It's okay to ask your questions. Ask God your questions. Ask your pastor, preferably Doug, your questions. <laughs> Just kidding. You can ask me your questions. Be bold. Ask your small group leader your questions, right? And small group leaders, I have an invitation for you as well in this. As your group members bring you their questions, here's my invitation. I want you to honor more than you answer. Man, that is a good question. That's one that's really hard for me too. Right? Honor the question and the questioner 
before you try to answer their questions. Unless, of course, your name is spelled G-O-D, and you are 100% sure that you have all of those answers. I don't think that's any of us here in this room, by the way. Notice Jesus honors the disciples' questions, and we are invited to honor both our own questions and also the questions of others. Again, who asks questions? Curious people. Curious people ask questions most of the time, right? Because as you read through the Gospels, don't a lot of people ask Jesus questions? But we learn pretty quickly in Luke that not all questions are created equal, right? And that not everybody who asks Jesus a question actually wants to know the answer, Right, for example, in Luke 6, 2, the Pharisees saw Jesus picking grain on the Sabbath, which is a holy day when you're not supposed to do any work, and notice the Pharisees' accusatory tone when they ask Jesus the question, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Later in Luke 6, the Pharisees question whether Jesus is going to heal a man on the Sabbath, Um, And when he does, rather than praising God because, oh my gosh, here's a man who can heal the sick, rather than doing that, one account says that they sought and conspired to destroy Jesus. Later in Luke 7, Jesus heals a member of uh, the enemy of the Jewish people. And then Jesus' own mentor, John the Baptist, has his doubts about Jesus and sends someone to ask him, hey, hey, Jesus, I I just want to double check. Are you sure that, that you're the Messiah? Or should we be waiting for someone else? Because your behavior with this whole healing Romans thing is a little sketch. And then finally, at the end of Luke 7, just before the passage we're reading right now, Another Pharisee named Simon, after seeing Jesus welcome a notoriously sinful woman, questions the kind of company that Jesus keeps, right? He says, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is and who is touching him, a sinner. A lot of people asked Jesus questions, but not all of them genuinely wanted answers, Many people heard Jesus, saw his ministry, saw the miracles, but not everyone really listened to him, did they? And so Luke's parable is bringing this dynamic of hearing Jesus, but not really listening. He brings it to a head using Jesus' parable of the soils. And the parable of the soils, just like Jesus' life and ministry itself, the parable of the soils is kind of difficult to understand. People are struggling with it, right? And then most of the crowd, uh, either frustrated or confused, maybe just not caring all that much, we don't know why, but most of the crowd walked away having heard Jesus' words, but they, like the Pharisees, didn't truly listen. But not so with the disciples. And so Luke's parable goes something like this. It's story after story of people who heard and saw Jesus, but because they weren't open to something new, they didn't really listen or perceive, and therefore they didn't understand. But that of not listening, not understanding, gets contrasted with the disciples who are deeply open and who do ask questions. We've said that one part of the disciples' heart posture came from their curiosity, but it also comes 
from their openness. The disciples were open to new truth because they were humble enough to hold their own truth loosely. How many of you, and be honest, or have uh, found yourself super convinced about something only to find out later that you were absolutely wrong, and uh, spouses, feel free to raise your hand on behalf of your significant other on that one. <laughs> Openness is difficult, right? It's, it's, it's a posture that says, I know I don't have all the answers. It's a posture of humility that is open to new ideas, new truth, or a new act of God, especially when those new ideas, truth, or acts don't perfectly align with lowercase g, God, as we understand him. And this, by the way, is exactly what the Pharisees lacked. The Pharisees were so sure of themselves, they were so sure of their answers to what God was like, so sure of what their answers to what God's Messiah was supposed to look like, namely, exactly like them, right? That when God's actual Messiah showed up, They couldn't see it. Their heart posture was closed. No new information for us. Thank you. We have all we need already. Little did they know that that posture closed themselves off to the very God that they thought they were serving and protecting. They thought that that closed posture protected them. But to me, it just looks a lot more like arrogance. We already have all the answers, and therefore we can just shut out anything and every, anyone who says otherwise. That sounds arrogant to me. In fact, one of the most important theologians of the 20th century, uh, this dude named Karl Barth, says this about the posture of arrogance. Barth says that faith is the opposite of theological arrogance, which is an attempt to grasp God and his ways with the human mind. Alternatively, faith is the willingness to submit to God and his revelation even when it goes beyond our own understanding, just like it did for the Pharisees. But before we judge the Pharisees as if those were just like the worst kind of people imaginable, right, let's check ourselves for a moment because I really think that that impulse to believe that we have it all figured out is a very human impulse. We all are subject to it. And besides that, the Pharisees actually got a lot of their questions right. Like theologically speaking, the Pharisees and Jesus were aligned on most things. So the problem wasn't how right they were. The problem was that they were so certain of their rightness that they thought it was their job to shut out anything and everything that didn't align with their truth the exact way that they saw it. And something tells me that we haven't quite escaped that trap today. At this point, some of us might be wondering, but Brandon, isn't truth, capital T, right? Isn't it finished? Like, isn't all of the truth that we're ever going to know uh, written down in the Bible with a period at the end? And here's what I would say to that. I I do think and uh, that, that... with the most essential matters of faith, and this is you know, the, the teaching that Christians would, would say that we believe in, that we as Christians believe that the Bible has spoken 
But I would also say, one, yes, God has all truth, but we are not God. And two, even the Bible requires interpretation. And as much as we don't want to admit it, interpretation is not always as straightforward as we'd like to imagine. For example, did you guys know that there is no law, Old Testament or New Testament, that explicitly prohibits the practice of slavery? And in the antebellum South, when slavery was at its peak, Christians would use the Bible to argue both for and against chattel slavery. Now, luckily for all of us, there was enough openness in the collective American church that the arguments against slavery won the day, but it kind of begs the question, right? Do I believe, do we believe that God ever thought that slavery was good? No, of course not. But we as humans can be slow in catching up to God's truth, and therefore, it's important that we stay open because the thing that we might at first see as absolutely untrue might in fact be God's truth. It's good to seek truth, and it's good to hold on to it, but we would do well to hold it loosely. Uh, theologian Catherine Keller, in her phenomenal book, On the Mystery, says it like this. She says, truth cannot be hoarded, refrigerated, or dried. It's a gift of the present and a grace of relation. Let's go back to the passage. Again, the thing that separated the disciples from the Pharisees and even the crowds was their heart posture, right? They were curious, they were open, and we're going to see in a little bit that they were honest. And this is the exact heart posture of a true listener. And according to Jesus, it's the heart posture that allows us to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, which according to Jesus are actually not even secrets at all. Right? Because as soon as the disciples ask Jesus about the parable, about this big secret, what does Jesus do? He tells them. And all it took for them was to ask. Which brings us to the final bit of Luke's parable. After Jesus explains the parable to the disciples, he starts almost in a, it feels random at first, right? He starts talking about lamps under a jar and secrets coming to light. There's a temptation in this to go, oh, this is like a completely separate teaching. But I think that the work we've done so far is probably helping us to see that it's absolutely connected to everything else in Luke's parable. Here's what Jesus says. He says, no one after lighting a lamp hides it under a jar or puts it under a bed. Rather, you put it on a lampstand. No, uh, for nothing that is hidden, will, there is nothing that is hidden that will not be disclosed, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. That part of the passage, uh, verses 16 through 17, is called a truism. It's an accepted truth, right? Uh, nobody goes and buys a lamp and brings it home and looks around their house and says, gee, where is the right place to put this lamp? I know, under that chair. I know, under the bed. It just doesn't make sense, right? That's not what lamps are for. Similarly, Jesus is saying that God's truth, God's word, God's seed is not meant to be secret or hidden, but that it's available for anyone who would seek it. And we just saw that parable played out with the disciples, right? When they saw it, they received. Which leads to verse 18, so pay attention 
to how you listen. And verse 18 follows verses 16 and 17, so you might think of it kind of like this. So, because nothing is hidden and all truth can be brought to light by those who would seek it, so pay attention to how you listen. When the disciples asked about the parable, Jesus praised the disciples' heart posture. And now in verse 18, he's encouraging them to continue in it. Pay attention to how you listen. Keep being curious. Guard your openness. Persist in honesty. And then the rest of verse 18, for those who have, more will be given. To those who don't have, even what they seem to have will be taken away. How many of you guys did that sound like a little bit harsh to? You're like, why are things getting taken away from people? That's, that, what, what is Jesus doing there? Let me, let me explain that. What Jesus is saying is that to those who listen well, to those who have openness, curiosity, honesty, that, that posture, and all of the truth that's gained from that posture it's going to bear fruit, and it's going to continue to bear fruit. If I said it really simply, I would just say that truth works. Truth works. But on the flip side, on the flip side, right, but those who shut out the truth, those who think they already have all the answers, watch out. Because even the truth that you think you have and you've grasped so tightly will turn into sand in your fingers. And so I think we've figured out Luke's parable in our Matryoshka doll passage that is Luke 8. Luke's parable is about our heart posture. So far we've looked at curiosity and openness as being important within that posture, and now we're going to take a peek at Jesus' parable. So we're shifting a little bit to look at Jesus' parable. And guess what? When we do that, we're going to see that it's essentially the same message again. Question, according to Jesus, what is the seed? And it's up here on the slide. It's the word of God. So this seed, this word, this truth, according to Jesus, it lands on different kinds of people with different kinds of soil differently. Right? Now, soil is, is the language that the parable uses, but what I think Jesus is really trying to get at with, with soils is your heart posture. Right? The soils represent different heart postures. Like, for example, let's take the seed that falls on the path. Truth hits some people like it hits the Pharisees that we've seen in Luke so far who have absolutely no openness, absolutely no curiosity, absolutely no honesty, and then whatever truth that was there, it gets snatched up by Satan. And in case that feels unfair, it's not as though that truth snatching was entirely the work of Satan and outside of the Pharisees' control, right? The Pharisees chose their heart posture. They made their own hearts into a hard path. And so God's truth, the seed, landed on a heart that was as hard as a path, which just made it easy to be snatched up. Their minds were so made up, so rigid, so fixed, that there wasn't anything that Jesus could tell them, there wasn't anything that, that God could tell them to change their minds. And I think we've all met people like this. 
Maybe some of us are people like this. I don't know. But we've definitely all met people like this. And what's fascinating to me is that we see it both in extreme atheists and in extreme fundamentalists. So Catherine Keller, again, she says it like this. She says, the Christian absolutist, the Christian fundamentalist, melts the creation down into a nothing but. Nothing but matter, nothing but this passing world, nothing but this fallen nature, and so forth. Just as surely as does the scientific reductionist. A closed mind cannot bear fruit. So there's the path, which represents a heart posture that is just completely closed to anything new, right? And then Jesus goes into two other heart postures in, in, in the parable language. It's the rocky soil and the thorny soil. And each of those soils allows for some amount of growth, right? But then the heart posture kind of becomes the limiting factor to those um, fruits bearing, or to the plants bearing fruit, I actually don't think it's super important to go into the specifics of all the bad soils, but the basic takeaway of the bad soils is this. There are things in each of our lives that become obstacles to receiving and maturing in truth. There are things in each of our lives that become obstacles to receiving and maturing in truth. And whatever those obstacles are, the invitation is actually the same, and Jesus gives us the solution in verse 15. Let's read it together. But as for that in the good soil, these are the ones who, when they hear the word, hold it fast, and read this with me, in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with endurance. Hold it fast in an honest and good heart. Now, if you look back at Luke's parable for just a moment, an honest and good heart who does that describe? It describes the disciples, right? It describes that posture of curiosity, of openness, and of honesty that led them to ask Jesus about the disciple. So we've already looked at curiosity. We've already looked at openness. Let's take a moment to explore what I think Jesus means by honesty. So what does it look like to have an honest heart? I would say that an honest heart includes two things. It includes honesty with ourselves, and it includes honesty with others, including God. You see, when the disciples didn't get it, they also didn't fake it. There was this key moment right after Jesus gave the parables when the disciples had a moment inside their hearts where they had to admit I don't get it. I'm confused. Do you see that? They had to be honest with themselves in order to go to Jesus and in honesty tell him that they didn't understand. And with Jesus being their rabbi, that would feel a little bit scary, right? You're the disciples. You're the ones that are supposed to get it. You're the ones that are supposed to understand. Self-honesty is hard because when we're honest with ourselves, we often have to confront things about ourselves that we would probably rather not admit. For example, man, when I blew up at that person, what was actually going on is I felt hurt and I felt belittled. 
being honest with ourselves by saying, I'm, I'm, the real reason that I'm not applying for jobs right now is because I'm afraid of being rejected. And I'm afraid of being rejected because I'm afraid that the truest thing about me is that I am a failure. I'll be honest about something. I don't know for sure what happens after we die. And that makes me feel afraid sometimes. I know the Christian answers. I do. Some of them are more biblical than others. But at the end of the day, I have never been on the other side. And I can't say for sure. And thinking about it sometimes makes me anxious. Hope, can we be a family where honesty is valued and not shunned? Right? When the disciples were confused, when they were afraid, when they were faithless, when they were ignorant, all of it, they displayed incredible honesty by bringing their real self to Jesus. And Jesus invites us to bring our real and honest selves. To be honest with ourselves first and then dare to bring that real and honest self to God and to others. Curiosity, openness, honesty. Three practices that together make up a heart posture of a true listener. Without these, we, just like the plants in the parable, will be stunted in our growth. Truth can only grow in good soil. But I also mentioned that with each of these traits, with curiosity, openness, and honesty, I pointed out the fact that they're all in their own ways hard, right? These are not easy postures to practice. So as we close and as the worship team makes their way up, I want to offer the thing that for me is the bedrock that makes each of these three heart postures possible, and that thing is grace. Grace is believing that God receives us and accepts us just as we are, Flaws and all. Grace is the belief that God welcomes imperfect people, and I'm an imperfect person, and so are the rest of us. Grace is accepting the reality that God did not wait around until we had it all together to come and rescue us, but that God's rescue plan happened and came right in the moment when we most needed it. Right? Grace is not just mere forgiveness being dispensed like gumballs when we put a coin in the repentance slot. Grace is the ocean that we swim in. Grace is the air that we breathe. It's what allows us to trust deep in our bones that I am okay even when I don't feel like I'm okay because Christ has made it so and because God's promises do not fail. With grace as our cornerstone, will we practice curiosity because with grace, it's okay that we don't have all the answers. And so we can bring even our hardest questions to God. With grace as our foundation, will we practice openness because grace makes it okay that we don't know it all. And it opens us up for the new things that God wants to do. And with grace as our refuge, would we practice honesty. God's grace accepts the truest and realest version of ourselves, and so will we accept that which is most true in ourselves and allow that version of ourselves to be known and loved by God and by others.